Hello everyone and welcome back to Morning Shot and uh, well in studio, digitally at least, is of course Byron. Say hello Byron. Hello. And on the other side of the studio is the most optimistic man in South Africa, Dr. Franz Crenier. Hello Franz. Hello Roman and Byron. Hello. So you are in the, the crosshairs of a lot of people because you wrote a piece last week that sort of subverts everything we know about South Africa because... According to the piece itself, you are trying to find positives amid the overtly dark national mood. And you talk about a variety of positives that you can see. And in fact, South Africa is in a better position now than it was five years ago. You must explain yourself, sir, because people are apoplectic with rage at the notion that South Africa is better now than it was at the start of Romophoria. Well, well, the outlook. The outlook looks a bit better. Um... Let's go through things. I think I can't remember how many I listed. I think seven. Let's go through them and see how we do. One thing that's a good thing I wrote is that the democracy is working as it should. And the idea is that if the country is very badly governed, then people will move to try and change the government. There'll always be a bit of a lag time. That lag time is playing out. I chair a group called the Social Research Foundation, which is a think tank. Polls a lot. Last year we had the ANC on around 47, 48, so below 50, which is that was in itself an amazing figure for someone like me who started my career when the ANC was at 70% and couldn't lose. I mean, it was an absurd notion that they would go somewhere. We called in 2012 that the ANC would lose the 2024 election on the same methodology we're using now. But there's a poll in the field at the moment, and you know, the, the right thing to do is to wait until all the data's in, but I called the pollsters last week and I said, where's it at? Uh, the ANC number. And but this is too early, so allow me. To, but last week the number was under 40%. And that's a hell of a thing. You know, an, an ANC that's, you know, below 50 is a hell of a thing. Below 40 is is the beginning of the complete collapse. So that was one positive. We, the, 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 then, you know, there's all this hue and cry. There should be a reform move. Someone should do something. Well, what is business doing? Or, or perhaps the Australians or, or, you know, someone, the Americans, they save us, Russians, maybe. Um, and the fact is, there is a reform movement and it's very alive and it's very far advanced and it sits in the living rooms of, in the relative sense of now a majority of South African households and making different political decisions. And uh, so that was number one. You got free to, like, stop me along the way, and I'll run through the seven. But but if it's too much, just tell me to stop. The second point is is the opposition is is pretty okay. Um, DA policy positions, fine. You know, I mean, these are politicians, but this isn't bad. Bosa, Musi Maiman is... Uh, Startup parties, 10 big points, many of those great. Herman Mashaba's uh, kind of ideological approach to problems, but, but for his comments on foreigners that I disagree with, are the, the economics is very good and very sound. Now, think across emerging markets that are in trouble, like we are, in deep trouble, terrible trouble. In, 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 in many of those, you have to go and create an opposition 
often you have to counter a crazed Marxist left-wing opposition and then turn it into a pragmatic opposition. We have that already. And our opposition is free to operate. This year, the Venezuelans again arrested their opposition. Much of the Zimbabwean kind of opposition democracy movement is in prison. Our chaps operate freely, and and that is a very, very good thing. The third one that I went to was, um, well, let's go, let's go, yeah, coalition. Coalition got bad rap because Johannesburg broke up and the Kurilani's a bit of a mess and we'll see what happens in Pretoria tomorrow. But I asked uh, some of the political parties to send me lists of all the coalitions they were party to. And on my count, by a ratio of around 8 to 10, South Africa's coalitions basically hold together and work. You don't know about that because the communications departments of the political parties aren't able to tell people that. It's amazing. But if you actually do the hard graft yourself and go and find out, you know, some of these coalitions are holding together. And we need to become, our political system lends itself to becoming a coalition country. And, and from so, if I interrupt, but yeah. based on your own research, I do understand that coalitions have a very high approval rating or the notion of political parties working together to share power. Yeah. yeah. Well, people like the idea. See, it's old Kumbaya, we all come together, uh, Rainbow Nation, that that uh, sort of miracle society. That psyche still exists in, in the South African mindset somewhere deeply buried. Don't call it Rainbow Nation, euphoria, people get prosperous to you. But the, the idea of coming together is is a very, it's the most positive political emotion you can generate in the country. Now, except, the coalitions may fail. I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to be the uh, devil's advocate in this instance. Except, the one coalition that brings dread and fear to every South African's heart is that of the EFF and the ANC. Okay. So, what's the prospect of that? Here you go. Prospect's pretty good. Um, I think it's not the best. I think ANC DA is more likely. ANC EFF. Let's think through this now. Collectively, the ANC EFF, if they contested election would get 45% in urban areas of the vote. They'd get 80% in rural areas. If the ANC makes this deal in 2024, which parts of it want to make, one is they don't get Gauteng, because collectively the ANC, EFF, don't have Gauteng. The deal goes down really badly in Natal, where the ANC is already under 50, and the EFF might not help it get out of that what happens then is you box the ANC and the EFF together. You conflate the brands, the radical populism, the anarchy, the hate, the violence of the EFF with the incompetence of the ANC. Both those brand elements are deeply unpopular amongst voters. So you're going to push these together, you're going to mix them up, you're going to weld them together, and you're going to isolate those parts. You're going to so alienate the urban voting emerging middle class that the ANC and the EFF are going to become a regional political party centered in the north of the country, in the scrublands of Limpopo, Northwest, and Pumalanga, where the ANC will die, fighting a bloody battle to the death for scraps of tenders with the EFF. It's not... Well, what, what's interesting about South Africa now is, fortuitously, to some extent, also some people work hard on this stuff, the... As as you kind of 
sort of move around the board. The ANC gets itself checkmate time after time after time. All that needs to happen in the five years of an ANC EFF government is a vast amount of money needs to be put into the free media, civil society, the pro-democracy world. And the if at the end of that era we still have free elections, we may not, then kaput, the end, then except for some strong enclaves, then you will beat both the ANC and the EFF collectively down to somewhere between 20 and 30% of the vote. And the more pragmatic will come to the fore. Well, okay, that's the, okay, but then that's the linking, playing, playing back there, then linking us back to the first point you made. So you said South Africa at the moment, the democracy is working because we haven't put the oppositions in prison. Like they have in many of the Marxist hellholds in the world. The scenario that you've just painted there is one of the things that gets most South Africans' blood turned to us because that coalition, were it to become a reality, could see South Africa destroy your first argument, which is democracy won't work. The EFF would have exactly right. Yeah, they were exactly right. If that happened, but that must happen. That ANC EFF in its first term in office must destroy the constitutional edifice, the rule of law, freedom of speech, property rights, and democratic institutions to survive. And that's what the battle will be like. And it is scary, and you can lose. And and for that reason, you know, my, my advice, yes, full stand. Edge yourself on South Africa very well. It's just more difficult now for them to pull that off than five years ago. When, I mean, people forget that it was the parliamentary caucus of Jacob Zuma that voted against expropriation without compensation. It was the ANC of Ramaphosa that brought it to the fore. No one advocated for that policy more strongly than Mr. Ramaphosa himself. Matched with the proposed national health insurance scheme, which would have nationalized private health care, the middle class would have been a non-option outside of very strong enclave for the country. So this fearsome, uh, uh, and you're right to warn of it, of course, it's very dangerous. But this fearsome idea of a powerful state that would destroy property rights and constitutional uh, uh, protections and the like, that state was very close five years ago under under the ANC. And it carried a lot of credibility in the media. The media used to play up this expropriation stuff. Diplomats were ambivalent on it. It was very dangerous. And few people saw quite how dangerous it was. The point I'd make to you now is that we are in a safer position, not safe, safer than in those heady days of Romophoria when this thing was around the corner and it took a few unpopular, pretty brave chaps to beat it off with a stick, which they did. Uh, so I think, France. For you, the the DA, I mean the DA, the ANC EFF coalition is a possibility. The confidence and the what you call it, the the brand awareness of such a thing, is not as high as it could be before, because basically we're living in a collapsed society. So even if there was a D, a ANC EFF coalition come twenty twenty four, one assumes it won't last five years because at the end, I believe it's a zero sum game of graft. At the end of the day, it's just yeah. about patronage networks, and those networks are 
as useful as long as they exist in some material way. That doesn't assume that they will exist for, for 15 years or 20 years. Yeah, fr frankly, beating off the risk now is easier. Not easy, not guaranteed, but easier than it was five years ago when by stealth we were on the brink of it. And very few people saw what brink we were standing on. So anyway, let me go out. Let me take you through these things. Another one is as you face defeat and you're a liberation government with not very strong democratic instincts, you print money. This is the playbook. The reason you print money is to create inflation, not to create money, it's to create inflation. Because inflation devastates living standards of poor people, makes them so angry and unhappy that they become easily uh, taken in by populism, which you can use to supplant democracy. Now, we're not seeing the printing of money. I'm somewhat, I'm, I'm certainly surprised on the upside by this. The, there is a streak of fiscal conservatism, or it's rather called pragmatism, that runs through the ANC. It was installed in that party by Mandela in the early 90s, who told his ANC colleagues that the mess we'd inherited from the previous administration was so serious that if we don't grow the economy, we're going to borrow. And if we borrow in dollars from global financial institutions, our revolution is out. The budget speech will be dictated from Washington. Now, that, that conservatism saw debt to GDP cut in half in the first decade after 94 and even the running up of a proper budget surplus. Since the return uh, to um, or the arrival at the finance ministry of, he might have been a former finance minister but lost out, the arrival now of Enoch Orunguana, a lot of that pragmatism is back. His government aspires, it is amazing to a primary budget surplus. Now, that means a surplus before your interest spending. If you read the front pages of his budget, all the colorful infographics, you know, that's put there to for the lazy media to report on something. If you go to around page 200 of his budget, to the statistical annexures, which is where the real information sits, my, my math on that is that in, in the immediate years ahead, combined spending on civil service wages and social protection will fall in real terms. Now, that's a government facing electoral defeat. This means we still have a streak of fiscal pragmatism. And if we had inflation and money printing, there's nothing any of us could, could do about that. That would destroy our society. We don't have it, and I'm, I thought we'd have more of it than we do. We don't. So then, um, a question yeah. on that. Why? I mean, we, we know at its core the ANC is this beast that loves the National Democratic Revolution, infused with Marxist-Leninist ideas. At, at, a, at the point of yeah. critical juncture, where it could be wildly populist. It doesn't become wildly yeah. populist. Yeah. Why, why would you think that? Very, ANC is very poorly understood by analysts. I'd say most of the political press have no idea what the party's about or how it's put together, or what its internals are just. The ANC has historically been as nervous about what it calls ultra-leftists as it's nervous about capitalists. And its trouble with ultra-leftists is it says they're, they're so ideologically driven and so nuts that in pursuit of their ideology, they will destroy the capitalist economy and ultimately the revolution. 
that all these revolutions fail when they get to the point of destroying the capitalist economy. And the objective instead is a middle road, not to destroy the capitalist economy, but to harness it to the revolutionary agenda of the state, which means you need to keep it kind of going, or else you, you get into real trouble. Now, that's deeply held. That's, that's decades deep. So the fiscal pragmatism, you find some of it there. I'd go further and say now, the, the evidence for the ANC is so overwhelming that in eras where the economy grew relatively quickly and jobs were created, support for the ANC increased. In eras where it stressed the ultra-leftist ideology, so EWC would be ultra-leftist ideology, and that we remember who this came from. I mean, it wasn't Mr. Zoom. I mean, he gave gifted it at the end as a kind of a present, farewell present, because he knew what his inept successes would do. Um, ANC support gets crushed in eras of populism. And my experience is that 25 years in and facing defeat, some of these uh, people are learning a lesson that ANC supporters want to live in a fairly successful, comfortable Western-type society. That's also why if you make the deal with the EFF now, it's very dangerous. Byron, absolutely right, very dangerous. But if you can fend off that danger, which you can do quite plausibly, then the ANC and the EFF is dead. And the ANC's pragmatists, for, for a time at least, you must then worry about how well the opposition would govern or populism will return. ANC's pragmatists understand this and understand that it would be that the long-term survival of what was for many... Look, for, for many of these guys, you know, you, you'd be very critical of them, totally incompetent. Electricity is all for the police. I've learned today, don't know the difference between a sinus problem and cyanide poison when it came to Andre Dorota. They confused it too. Amazing. But but not totally unbelievable. Sinus, cyanide, no, that was the same. Many of these, these in the ANC universe are people who, whatever you might think of the last 25 years, were quite brave and quite committed about the idea of trying to turn South Africa into a better country prior to 90. Many of them took great risks. Some went to prison for long periods of time, and they didn't know if they'd ever be released or how the transition would work. And for some of those, not all, I would say it's true of much of the cabinet, but, but for many in the broader ANC universe, there, there is a, let's say, a moment of very deep introspection about what we do now, because get this call wrong, and it's the, the liberation movement, Survives as a tyrannical dictatorship, or it's or it's finished. Um, that that takes me. Let me. I don't. I don't want to, you know, run out of points here. You can. Another one I, I I mentioned in the Business Day piece is is relates to this. And it is my opinion um, that the enthusiasm for the crazed radical populism that came with the New Dawn. The New Dawn was a very good cover figly. Pretty pretty insane stuff. That has died away. When last 
Do you see a senior government leader make a speech about expropriating anything? And the reason is they do still they do still give lip service to it. They as they do on Living City NHR, as we saw on the in the solar response said, Oh, NHR's still there. We're just building. So it's like it's, it's not, still there. It's not gone. And it can come back, Byron. I told farmers last week. It's it's on the back burner. But if you now release the pressure, it will come back. Or if Paul Mashatile takes over, it can come back. And then the ANC EFF coalition. So so you 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 had this imminent danger of something like NHR. It's been pushed back, not dead, but it's definitely it's it's wounded but not slain. Um and the enthusiasm, look, there was enthusiasm for it. So many, three, four years ago, people forget. This was so prominent. There were academics saying it would bring liberation and social justice was the best thing ever. Why do any food production will go up, you know, investment will increase. All of that stuff is on a back burner of sorts because of pressure. And at the time, when expropriation was just as one example of this stuff, front and center. You know, I don't, I don't, I think very few people understood that we could have been in it, in the throes of it by now, and we're not. Um, what you've made me realize is that actually, when, when you talk about the sort of liberation movements going very populist, we actually had that in the first five years of Ramaphoria, in actual fact. That was the populist era where they wanted to do all of these things through the medium of Ramaphoria, yet perhaps COVID and just ineptness ensured that it didn't happen. So perhaps we are at a stage where populism was attempted, and now we are see seeing the repercussions of that, and other ANC is almost sort of not sure where to go from here, so they're just being very pragmatic. And Well, well what, what I think did that, Ramon, was... One, there was a very effective lobby built against it. But what, what's been very important is that through that populist era, ANC electoral support fell from 57% to what, in City Press two weeks ago, was 37. Now, I know what the 37 number was, was, was uh, credited to the ANC as an internal poll. It doesn't come from the, I can't tell you where it comes from doesn't come from us either, but I know where it comes from. It's a legitimate number. So the ANC fell 20 percentage points through the era of crazed populist expropriation. So when I, I started that piece and I said that democracy is working, I mean, part of that is the opposition's free to act. But part of it too is is where, where the government does fundamentally stupid things, people aren't rewarding. And, you know, Given what what uh, might have been, you know, you, you, there, there is a, a thing where you might think the present is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. You know, if you live in Johannesburg, there's no, I mean, a large parts of it apparently no water anymore, no electricity, in the pandemonium, the sinus police. I mean, really, that should be that should be the the government's advertise the sinus police, but. The, the the fact that the populism had triggered such a terrifically negative result for the ANC is um, is is a good thing. Yeah, 
Well, I was going to say, is this why during the president's solo, he suddenly announced that he was giving out around a million title deeds to properties that they were backlogged on? I mean, I know the South Inlika has been trying to push that for some time. Now, all of a sudden, like, oh, lo and behold, these title deeds are now getting released. They're saying it's like 400 billions worth of economic growth that we'll, we'll get because of the, the value of the land. I don't know if it's that. I don't think the idea of expropriation put anti-voters off. I think many anti-voters might have liked the idea of expropriation, chasing people into the sea. What 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 caused the vote to fall is that the economic consequences were so severely negative that living standards slipped, and therefore the consequence of populist policy, perhaps not the the linear line, cause and effect, but the the non-linear line causes ANC support to fall. And, and the ANC uh, understands that. Then, um, related to, to this, I made another, says the seventh in the note in front of me, is that um, where complete catastrophe happens, so the lights go, the ANC turns to privatization, which is essentially the strategy on Eskom. There's even, there was a report that rattled around about two, three weeks ago, which, you know, if you are diplomatic, said that the railways might just stop soon, some of them. I'm like, Eskimo stopped. Your train's just not going to stop. And there's even a move uh, to, in practice, privatize ports and railways. Now, now the last particularly prominent person who did that was a woman in the UK by the name of Thatcher, privatized things like railways. And the ANC is reluctantly doing that. Now, it will not move to reform broadly in labor or policing or education on its own. It will only do that after an inflection point forces it into a coalition. But where it's, it's, it's pushed into a corner of disaster, lights off 12 hours a day, if it was a serious or a fascist organization, it would press through that and it would forbid solar panels on people's roofs uh, because that liberates people from the consequences of the state. It encourages this. It even provides a rather pathetic tax rebate if you, I think if you put up about a sort of million rands for the solar panels, you will get back 20,000 rands from the government. Um, but but it allows that and moves to privatization. And in the relative scheme of things, looking at emerging markets that have gone into terrible trouble around the world, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, the worst case, this is fortuitous that the South African state gives up in the face of catastrophic failure and says, well, we'll get someone else to try and fix the problem. Um, and that's um, to one of your more controversial arguments in that the solution to all of this, perhaps the best evil we can have in 2024 is ANC-DA coalition. So we made a video on this. We got a lot of hate. Uh, people think that the DA is going to fall apart. It's going to be like the Lib Dems moving with the Conservatives in the UK. But in actual fact, if you look at the trends of the ANC, as you rightly pointed out, when they are facing a wall, they are basically adopting DA policies into the privatization of key structural elements of the state. So is your argument for the ANC-DA coalition is that perhaps they would understand that the DA is 
for all intents and purposes, the party that can privatize these things a lot quicker so that they will actually be a major partner in their coalition rather than just a, a sort of parasite, if that makes sense. Well, the the arguments primarily come from a much more mundane place. It's it's mathematical. You know, Lyndon Johnson said the first rule of politics is knowing how to count. So let's exaggerate our polls to extreme results. Let's say the ANC gets 35% in the next election next year. And let's say the DA gets 30 Put together a government. How do you do that? Well, yeah, it's not possible on either side. You, it's right you, not yeah, do do all that maths. I mean, the, you know, and and this is one of the results you return to. The that's that's one of the reasons for it. Another reason is the there are a lot of proxy parties around. These are opposition parties started by created inspired by the ANC and its universe that it controls, and their purpose is to sit on the fringes of the ANC and benefit from picking up former ANC voters who are very angry and then returning those straight to the ANC without conditions attached. Uh, so that's what's happened in, in Johannesburg to an extent. There's a widespread phenomenon of this, and, and people mustn't be naive about the world and things that happen in it. And um, if you build a coalition with just one of those inside your coalition, let's say you're the DA, you cobble together 51%, and you've got five or six little parties, and one of those is an ANC proxy, it it destroys your coalition from within. Um, so you've got to be pretty certain that all your parties aren't, you know, in a sense, intelligence operations designed to sustain the ANC. A very different kind of coalition emerges when um, your partner can force concessions or attempt to force them. I quote I love when I built the strong. There was an American military officer in Washington, a South African military officer in Washington in 1980. American said to him, what are you going to do in your country? And this chap in his best English said the challenge is not to make the wrong mistake. And it was beautifully put. And, uh, yeah, the arguments against the ANCDA coalition are very good. Martin von Staden is an IRS architecture analyst. So it's really good stuff and it's worth going to read. Question here, what's the wrong mistake? Um, but, you know, you, you, could, you could equally argue that, you know, let the ANC and the EFF go and govern together and you'll kill them off in the... Uh, uh, politically in the scrublands of the northern on the Botswana border somewhere under a thorn tree. Um, so that 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 works too. But I'd say if if the DA had the sense that there were ANC pragmatists, remember these are people who secured a budget surplus and are busy privatizing railways. You know, go and look around the Western world and find us one of those. The liberal Western democratic world, and um, we find one of those hard to do. If there's a strong sense that you can partner with that, 
it's it's it might not be the wrong mistake to make, but the risks are, are of course immense. I got a couple of questions to to ask you based on what you've said. Yeah. So the first is I made some notes. You said that uh, AC can't print money, but can't create hyperinflation. Completely agree. But as you know, one of the ANC's projects so they want to nationalize a reserve bank, which would allow them to do that. So it does seem like well, they can't do it now, but it doesn't mean that they're not planning to do it. They can do it. Oh, they could do it. They could print money now. You don't need to nationalize the Reserve Bank to print money. The ANC, essentially, once you get past all the kind of crap, appoints a majority of the uh, people at the central bank who will decide on policy. And if they wanted to, they could appoint, you know, the, the economics or lots of the economics department at WITS and they'd print money tomorrow. They can do it. What strikes me is 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 as the significant thing is they have this choice and they're not making that choice. They could, of course, you could lose the current minister, and and you could print money. You know, by the middle of this year, the risk is there. But they're not making. It's a simple choice to do it. Nationalizing is a red herring. You just do it by stealth. Okay. The second, the second thing is you you mentioned around how they want to follow kind of Marxist dogma, but only to a degree where it might kill capitalism. So there's this compromise between having some capitalism, but some Marxism, and just kind of keeping it in a steady, a steady kind of flow. I suppose you could make that argument of the old god, but I mean, if you watch any of the new ANC people that come through. People like Antilia Lungisi and, you know, the other ANC youth leagues. And let's call them their aspiring leaders. All their aspiring leaders are what you might describe as ultra-left. There isn't any pragmatists in that party. Is there not a danger that as the older generation either die, as we have seen some of the older generation the ANC have passed, and some of them retire, that the pragmatism in the ANC disappears and all we are left with is basically the EFF. Yeah, 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 that's right. Quite possible. Um, the pragmatism goes, and the ANC EFF are together. The it's a reverse takeover. The EFF because they harder working, more disciplined. You know, generally just better at politics. They'll swallow the ANC, and then we get back to where we were earlier. That to survive that, you've got to make sure that through its five years, the call it the democratic pro-democracy movement is strong enough to deny it the ability to achieve anything firm on the ground. Then an election takes care of this. But fail at that. So let's get both your steps in place. The more pragmatic ANCs put out faster. The younger chaps uh, and the EFF get together and they do radical populist stuff, and this isn't anticipated, and there's not enough resources into the pro-democracy movement, yeah, then you get Venezuela, just like that, five years from now, easy. So, in France, your, your optimism is, is not, I think a lot of people misread you, uh, maybe on purpose, uh, but I think a lot of people might believe to themselves that Ramaphoria, Ramaphosa, whatever that entailed, the new dawn, it was a sort of last hope of state order in South Africa, and that's all gone 
well, to the dogs, to be really honest. So a lot of people are looking for new circumstances of order. Like, how do people create order? And your solution or your one of your scenarios in your book that was written in 2014 or 2016, it was South Africa in 2030, which I read in basically my Bible on South African politics. One of your scenarios is, of course, the breakup of the state. People do know the argument, but perhaps it might be useful just to reiterate. What does it mean when the state breaks up in this particular scenario? Well, the way to think of it, the way we explained it in that book, and it's not inconsistent with this, I'll gain that one. What, what would happen, we said, the state would get weaker and weaker and would lose more and more support and would lose the ability to do things that states do. Now, the, one of the definitions of the state is monopoly on the use of violence. Now, that's long gone. Um, in 94, there were the same number, roughly, of policemen and security officers. Today, there are three times as many private security officers as policemen. Monopoly on the use of violence is long gone. But what would happen is the state would retreat from your life. And the stuff the state would do, it would do worse and would stop doing it. And eventually the thing to think, the way to think of it, the image is that the state would really be in Pretoria, in the Union buildings and inside its gardens. And it was planning, planned command economy, but nothing happens. Successful communities in those circumstances would be those who early on realized that they need to take over what were previously the functions of the state. And the watershed between highly successful South African communities and, and unsuccessful ones was always going to be this, the ability to early on take over the functions of the state, education, healthcare, crime, roads, water, electricity. It's basically a little bit of foreign policy that you can, that takes us beyond the scope of this chat. Now, all of that is still true. And I think in, in Johannesburg, where I sometimes spend some time, the, the sort of deeply negative sentiment is, you know, Johannesburg's for the first time without water and electricity at the same time. And I think for people who didn't believe in Ramaphoria, but I don't know if they thought, I mean, yesterday I went to see someone, a meeting on a Sunday, and and I drove past a water tanker standing in on a main Johannesburg road with a queue of people with buckets behind it and sort of water cans. All that was missing was emblazoned on the side. If that said UN, it would have... There's an image out of a refugee camp in the south of Sudan. Perfect image. The middle of Johannesburg. Unbelievable for many people. And I think the shock of that is very terrible. Now, in one of these books we wrote about the future of the country a few years ago, we, we found that where we said things will get very bad. Now, now we say, I'm saying I think they could get a bit better. But where we said they could get very bad, we met furious responses, angry people. I mean, I remember a mining house chasing a colleague of mine out, literally. A mining house which today can't export its products because the railways fall apart. I, I can remember an ambassador of a country in Europe standing up, attacking a colleague of mine at a public event, saying that this would never happen in South Africa. That interested us, at me and, and I had a team then at the time, or what caused this, and we read a little bit amateur reading. And the reason 
our kind of branch of humanity is here today and others are not is that we could anticipate danger. We knew that around the corner, if you turn left, you'd be eaten by a wild beast, and if you turn right, you'd be safe. If you deny certainty to a human, you trigger a physiological response as severe as removing nicotine from a smoker. So if there was a world that you broadly believed in, and someone comes along and says, maybe you're wrong, something completely different could happen. It's very discomforting. So I've got a lot of kind of a, a sort of uh, sympathy for that. It's a very difficult thing to do. And we, I think a lot of people got used to the idea that there'd be a mildly, I thought Ramaphosa would be mildly ineffective when he can't. I don't think he'd be a reformer. I thought it would be mildly ineffective. A water tanker in Johannesburg and the confusing sinus problems with cyanide poisoning for the Bosovesca. I did not see those things coming. <laughs> I did not see that. Um, and I think I, I speak on behalf of, of Byron here. Yeah, Byron, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I think that's the, the essence of sort of morning shots is to show people that, you know, order is created outside of the, the parameters the state sets up for you, especially here in South Africa. And South Africa could be a pioneering stateless society because I think the nation states in general, the returns on violence for it is relatively over. It takes decades to actually materialize for the most part. But I think a lot of countries will be in our position in time to come. I know you're time stressed, but let's say these coalitions and things don't work. They might not. There's a default result beyond that. Let's say the coalitions have failed. That means they've all failed. That means that the good ones have failed, the bad ones have failed. The state has retreated. The default position beyond that is the conclusion of those early books, that we become a de facto kind of federal society of, of enclaves, or as, as one person who talks about these things calls them citadels. We live in citadels where successful communities take upon themselves more of the functions of the state. And the collapse of the ANC, which we're living through, and the very limited growth of the EFF, given that we're a country where half of young people don't have a job, is to suggest that a populist authoritarian coalition, crazed kind of Venezuela, is... is it's going to be a hell of an undertaking for them to pull off successfully. And the default, if the positive coalition doesn't work, that doesn't work. The default position is enclave. And we can become a successful enclave society. I mean, the Western Cape is that in many respects already. Enclaves like onions, but lads. And I, I, I say to clients now, the Western Cape, regardless of anything, is going to be one of the world's most successful emerging markets over the next 30 to 40 years. And that's true whether the north of the country makes it or whether the north doesn't. So, and I think what you guys do really well on this show, the, the rest of the mainstream media tells people what happened yesterday and uses that to extrapolate what will happen for the next thousand years. It will be the same. Never that. What you guys do, which is great, is you push those boundaries and you, you, you get people to think a bit about their prospects and and events and how things are likely to play out. And I think that's a very valuable contribution. Yeah. So I got. I suppose I got a couple of comments to everything you said. The first is, I agree with what you're saying, and I agree with Ron. So what we 
wish to show at Morning Shot is we have the belief that the idea of the nation status, as we know, in terms of history, is relatively a recent thing. Um, and before then, the nation state was, was not as powerful or as overarching as it is now. And it's arguable that where it has become is not sustainable long term. This also kind of goes into the point that Russell Lombardi or Sakhalikov makes, and that is what we are seeing is a degradation of the state, which is inevitable to happen. You may decide to leave South Africa and go to another state that's a little bit healthier, but the decline is inevitable. And so the management of the decline, you're either managing the decline today in South Africa or you're managing it tomorrow in Australia. But don't con yourself that it's not going to happen. That's Russell's point, and we tend to agree with it. I suppose the question, the couple of questions I would have is the first is, conclave societies are able to occur so long as the government doesn't, should we say, over-infringe on the ability's rights to self-determine. I suppose the first question I would have is actually around things like, as we all know, if you were to reduce a state to its absolute core, you would say the one thing that the state should provide against all else is at least the protection from violence, in other words, a policing service. And we know in South Africa that that's impossible because our state is useless. So one of the things that are really important to South Africans is the ability to own and control their own firearms for the purpose of self-defense. As we know, and we've seen that recently quite a bit, even in the press, is that there is quite a move to remove firearm ownership from individuals. Do you have a view on that? And can what do you think would happen if they were to remove that? Yeah, I think I think our middle classes aren't the kinds of people who are going to stand and fight. They'll go to your Australia and so on. So the effect on them longer term might be limited I think that outside of the regulation of firearms ownership for the middle class these are people who pay rates and taxes and get worried about traffic tickets and that sort of thing there, there is no regulation of firearm ownership or access at all and those facts as the state retreats it leaves vacuums the vacuums are filled by you know, the taxi industry is very important. Traditional leaders is another vacuum, Philip. And for them, whether the state chooses to regulate, you know, your hunting rifle or your shotgun that you shoot grass with or not, it's slightly relevant. It's like a traffic law. has no consequence whatsoever. So ultimately, the state still remains vulnerable to the uh, fact that Actors outside of the states will possess the monopoly on the use of violence. Wow. I think I'm not very up to speed on the firearms policy stuff at the moment, but my, my sense is that, you know, there was a very fervent drive about, how long ago, 24 months ago, to ban self-defense and such things. I mean, ridiculous nonsense. And um, that's also kind of my impression you guys might be more up to speed, is that's also been, been a bit back-burned. Uh, I also saw at the time of the Natal 
protests that there were people in the government who were terrified and were grateful that an armed citizenry took to the streets to restore order after the police had fled uh, with their looted goods in the back of the police van. This happened very often. And I, I, my sense of that was it, it caused a bit of introspection. You know, had, had, had that, had the, those militias, say, I tell, was the state security forces essentially mutant, but they weren't, well, they, they were effective. Had we been a society in which civilian firearm ownership was not a thing, there wouldn't have been anyone to restore order in the top. Um, and I did think I did think that caused some in the ANC too. So it's like the railways and the Eskom thing. I mean, it takes an absolute catastrophe to get there, but it does, in the end, under this present administration, cause a bit of introspection, uh, which is different. I mean, if we're real for a dangerously fascist society, wouldn't. We'd long ago have disarmed the civilian populace. We wouldn't be privatizing railways. We wouldn't be privatizing this. We'd be printing a lot of money. Uh, John Steenhuisen would be in prison with the two of you. And um, yes, oh, quite, quite right. There's no doubt. You don't doubt it yourselves. No. I mean, one of our goals is to be in prison so we can make a vlog out of it, become martyrs. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. But that's yours, man. You're, 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 you're going to be in prison and I'm going to be the exile, just to be clear. <laughs> the point of all of this is, is, is when you think about our present plight, which is very serious, in the relative order of things, we still have assets, important ones, that weren't in the possession of decent people in other societies that got into as much trouble. And it's because we still possess those assets that we still have a good chance of remaining a fundamentally free society. And I suppose that was the primary point I wanted to make in the in the business day piece, and that's the terrible doom and gloom and darkness that's befallen so much of the rest of the commentariat. So for yeah, which actually brings me on to the sorry Ramon, which brings me on to the last comments I wanted to make was in those two. So the the other one was actually saying around what Helen's in. So Ramon and I had tea with Helen. It's great fun. And Helen raised something to us that really kind of got me thinking, and that was that since the ANC's come to power, there have been two million South Africans that have left the country and sought opportunities abroad. But as Helen noted many of those would have typically voted for the DA in the past, which has ultimately weakened the opposition parties because their traditional voters have ultimately abandoned the country to the ANC. Is there any sense that... I'm not going to ask you that will continue. I think that that's, if we leave things as they are, that yeah, that's inevitable. What can we do to arrest that and reverse that? How can we 
stop that from occurring and in one sense also get them back? Look, I, I think firstly, it's very good to hedge yourself. Generally, it's a very volatile world. Hedge yourself in terms of what you can do, where you can do it, where you live, just in the country and abroad, your children's choices, and if you have any money, what you do with that. So, you know, that I'm not, you know, blind, patriotic, you know, stick it out here to the bitter end. But I don't think, I think you should be wise enough to have a, to choose to be here because it offers you the best option. Um, that said, I think there's also a case to be made to say to people who wish to exit in their totality to just think through the kinds of points that we've raised in this chat today. I wouldn't go out and try and convince you to stay. Because I don't want the responsibility for Venice, when it is Venice, right? as, as you very usefully reminded us it could be today. I don't want the responsibility of that person saying to me, you, you guys knew and you you said it would be okay. I'm not saying it's going to be okay. I'm saying it could reasonably be okay. Could reasonably be better than anywhere that you go. And I think if you provide people just with very high quality information, about the types of worlds that they are departing for and the kind of world that we here might become, even if it's an enclave, like the Western Cape enclave. What it is, that's what it's going to be. All this stuff of formally declaring independence, charging off from the sunset like Ian Smith waving a flag over your head. I don't think that's where it's going to happen. It's going to be a quiet day fact. It's already happened. That's why the Western Cape independence movement is quite an interesting thing because... They're advocating for a result that I think occurred 10 years ago. They did become kind of independent. <laughs> That's why you can see in so many numbers. I mean, we don't have time here, but uh, property. We, we did actually say this to John when we saw him in Cape Town. We actually just said the only thing that's missing is an army. So when you're building the army, and he looked very nervous. And he was like, it's well said. Yeah. Well, it might be a nice kind of unplayed without an army. I mean, so Simon's town with its boat that sailed for one. I see we sent one boat after the Russian fleet. Apparently, well, the Russians sent one, the Chinese. I think we got two, actually. We got some sort of delivery vessel that sailed behind the... One of our frigates was able to leave port. None of our submarines could apparently have the helicopters on the frigates and take off either. So, yeah. So, no, I mean, the... the the point is, your question was, so someone is thinking now, which you should think, what am I going to do? What about my kids? What about my money? What about my life, my future, all of that? It's, it's good reason. Um, I, my advice to them would be get hold of very high-quality information about what's likely to occur here and what your options abroad are. And try and as far as possible to banish hope and fear from your decision. It's very difficult to do. And, and make an informed choice. And if you do so, I mean, a lot of people have obviously had this conversation over the years. There, there are many people who come to an informed choice that the option here is one to, to strongly consider. Um, and I, I, mean, I find myself here today talking to you, and I, I, I do know a great deal about what is happening. And it's not 
because I have no alternatives. I think on that note, my friends, France, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really a pleasure to speak to you. Great pleasure as always. If people wish to find you, where, where may they do so? Uh, well, if they're interested in all the political data, they should go to, but we will soon, we have this foundation thing called the Social Research Foundation that does this amazing kind of uh, social and, well, social research. And um, we initially started just for a few people who were interested, and now there's more demands. We actually have a website, which is great. I might have that by the end of the week, and, and we're debating what to call it at the moment, so I can't tell you what the web address is. So as soon as we figure that out, I'll let you know they can look at a lot of, at, at, at a lot of the SRF data there, and then, yeah, that's probably the, the best way. All right, perfect. I'll link it down in the comments below. Byron, any last thoughts from you? No, just thank you for taking the time to uh, to talk with us. Well, it was the first time that we've had an opportunity to meet, so thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, any time. I, I think what you guys do is so important that left wheel. That is going to be the clip that's going to be shared all over the world. Thank you, France. For everyone watching, thank you for doing so. If you do enjoy it, why not subscribe to the channel? Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.